This morning, we're starting a three-week series on Luke's description of Jesus' birth. And so don't worry, we're going to return to Ephesians after we have this three-week series. But we wanted to take three weeks and look at what Luke tells us about Jesus' birth. And the reason is because what Luke says is, is truly astonishing when you ponder it. Because Luke says that there was a virgin, Mary, who became miraculously, supernaturally pregnant and gave birth to Jesus. And Luke tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just a man, not just a baby. He is a man, fully man, but he's also fully God, born to this virgin Mary. Luke tells us that Jesus is the Messiah who had been promised for thousands of years in the Old Testament. All those years, God had promised the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, and in the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came. Luke tells us that Jesus is the Savior who saves people like you and me from our sins. And Luke tells us that Jesus is the King, the King of the world, the King of the universe whose rule and reign and kingdom will never end. So that's what Luke is going to tell us in these next weeks about Jesus. And as I was thinking about that this week, it just struck me, Luke's message changes everything. Just totally changes the equation of what's going on in our lives. Because what it means is that the God of the universe the God who's created everything, the God who rules over everything, he has come to earth in the person of Jesus. He didn't just send a representative. He came, God in the flesh. What this means is that we can know God is real and we can know what God is like by looking at Jesus. There he is, God, here. This means that, that we can be forgiven for all of our sins, instantly forgiven for all of sin's guilt by trusting Jesus, and that we can be progressively freed from sin's power by trusting Jesus. Beautiful freedom from sin. This means that we can have our hearts filled with joy in knowing God through Jesus. That's what this means. As we're forgiven, the joy we've been looking for all of our lives, we're not going to find it anywhere else except in Him. Knowing God through Jesus fills us with joy. This means that our lives, what are they all about? They're all about helping each other to trust the Lord Jesus and bringing others to trust Jesus. That's what life is all about. And this means that death is not the end, is it? Just like Jesus rose from the dead those who trust Jesus will be raised from the dead. And forever we will join with all the redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe, worshiping, praising, glorifying, knowing God and Jesus. So Luke's message changes everything. We're going to unfold this and explore this in these next weeks. But see, Luke knows that not everybody's going to believe his message. And so in, in the first chapters of Luke, he gives us three reasons why we, the readers, should believe what he says about Jesus. So this morning, I want to show you these three reasons why we should believe what Luke tells us about Jesus. 
And the first reason is this. We should believe what Luke tells us about Jesus because what he writes is based on carefully researched eyewitness, eyewitness accounts. Start with verse 1, Luke chapter 1. Luke verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now, pause there. So he's saying there, there were many people who investigated and researched the story of Jesus. And where did they get their information? He tells us in verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning of Jesus' life were eyewitnesses, underline that word, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So the researchers, described in verse 1, got their information from eyewitnesses who had been with Jesus from the very beginning. They got their information from eyewitnesses who then became ministers of the word. They went around teaching people about Jesus. Now this certainly would have included the apostles, like Matthew, John, Peter, who were eyewitnesses with Jesus and ministers of the word. Okay, so who was Luke then? Well, Luke, most of you know, was a medical doctor, and he traveled with Paul on Paul's missionary journeys, helping Paul preach the gospel, raise up elders, plant churches. So Luke was a medical doctor, traveled with Paul, and Luke had heard about Jesus from the very beginning from these eyewitnesses, from these ministers of the word. And so what did Luke do with all that he heard? He tells us in verses 3 and 4, he says, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Theophilus was probably a well-known believer, and Luke is writing this for Theophilus, dedicating this to Theophilus. So to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have underline this word, certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So Luke wrote this letter, gospel, so that Theophilus and the rest of us who are reading it would have certainty about Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. So that's the first reason we should believe what Luke tells us about Jesus, because what he writes is based on carefully researched eyewitness accounts. Now think of what this means. This means it's based on reports from people who actually were there when these events took place. So they saw, as we'll read in a moment, Zechariah coming out of the temple unable to speak. They saw that happening. They saw Elizabeth who was well past childbearing years, get pregnant. They were the shepherds who saw the angels, like Amy was sharing with us this morning, singing glory to God in the highest. They saw Jesus take five loaves and two fish and multiply them into food for thousands. They saw him on the cross crying out, it is finished. They saw him alive, risen from the dead. This is all based on eyewitness accounts from people who were actually there who saw these events taking place. That's the first reason we can believe what Luke tells us about Jesus. That brings us to verses 5 through 17. The second reason 
And here Luke starts to now tell us what actually happened. But he doesn't start right off with Jesus' birth. He starts off with the events leading up to the birth of John the Baptist. Now, why? Why? It's because this is the second reason we should believe what Luke writes about Jesus. It's because of what the angel says about John, about John the Baptist. Start with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So get the picture here. Zechariah and Elizabeth, faithful to the Lord, loved the Lord, part of the people of Israel, but for years, 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 decades, 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 they've not been able to get pregnant. And now they're beyond childbearing years. 80s, 90s. So what happens? Verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zechariah had been chosen by lot to go into the temple. Twice a day, a priest would go in and burn incense. And so it was his turn now. And so he goes in to burn the incense. Many people are outside praying. Verse 11, what happens next? And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, when you hear the word angel, please don't think of a pudgy cherub sitting on a cloud, plucking a harp, okay? Please get that picture completely out of your mind. It's not at all what we're talking about. Angels are spiritual beings sent by God to help followers of Jesus. Most of the time, we don't see them but sometimes we do. Sometimes they appear as people. We see that a lot in the Old Testament. But other times they appear and they are shining with glory and power and radiance. And that's what happens here. Because Zechariah knows immediately this is an angel. So he knows this is an angel here. And the fact that an angel comes to Zechariah shows us it should just alert all of us, something special is happening, because the last time we know of that an angel appeared to someone takes place 500 years earlier. 500 years it's been, from all that we can see, since an angel appeared to somebody. This happened with the prophet Zechariah, no relation to this Zechariah, but you can read about this in the Old Testament prophet Zechariah when an angel comes and appears to him, but it's been 500 years since then that an angel has appeared. This Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 would have known that. He would have been thinking, whoa, something unusual is taking place here. And look at Zechariah's response, verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear 
fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now this would have shocked Zechariah because they were well beyond childbearing years. And so the fact that God is now going to give them a child after decades of childlessness shows that this baby, just like God had done this in Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah and others who had not been able to have children, and then God brings them a child and it's very special, this baby is going to be very special. This pregnancy is going to be a miracle because God wants it to be clear that John, who will be born to them, John the Baptist, is no ordinary child. And that's what we see as we keep reading. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This baby, John, many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Verse 15, for, here's the reason, he will be great before the Lord. Powerful relationship with God, powerful ministry. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. Just like the Nazarites, you can study this in the Old Testament, which meant they had a special call from God. So John was going to have a special call from God. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, do you see what Luke is doing? He's emphasizing all these things about John. An angel brought the announcement of John. John's birth was going to be miraculous to a couple who were past childbearing years. Special, unique call and filling from God. Luke wants us all to be asking at this point, who is this baby? And why is this baby so important? And look at what the angel says in answer to that, verse 16. And he, this baby, John, when he grows up, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now this is breathtaking because for hundreds of years, the vast majority of God's people, the vast majority of Israel had turned their backs on God. There had always been a remnant of believers, faithful believers, but the vast majority of Israel, like the scribes and the Pharisees, for example, they were just in it for the money and for the fame. They didn't know God at all. Or people like Zacchaeus or Matthew who just loved money. So the vast majority of Israel were turning their backs on God. But the angel tells Zechariah, your child, John, the son born to you, is going to turn many hearts from the people of Israel back to the Lord, their God. And because Zechariah knew the Old Testament, this would have shocked him. Because he would have known what the Old Testament prophesied. He would have known the Old Testament said that in the future, God's going to send the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah who will come, bring salvation, bring forgiveness of sins. In the future, God's going to bring the Messiah. But not only that, the Old Testament also said that right before the Messiah comes, God's going to send his messenger who's going to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, who's going to turn people's hearts back to the Lord to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. And so at this point, Zechariah would have been wondering, is it possible? Could it be? 
Could my child, my son, John, be this promised prophet who the Old Testament said would come, like the prophet Elijah, who will turn people's hearts back to the Lord and prepare for the Messiah? Could that be? And what the angel says next in verse 17 shows that the answer is yes. Start with verse 16 to get the flow of thought. He, your baby, John, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So your son, John, is going to be a prophet like Elijah was a prophet with that power of the Holy Spirit. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, He's going to bring restoration between fathers and children. He's going to bring reconciliation within families. He's going to bring healing to families that have been torn by sin. This is what he's going to do. And to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So wicked, disobedient, sinful people are going to be turned back to the wisdom of the righteousness, the justice of following God. And all of this is to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's what the angel says John's going to do. Now, at this point, Zechariah would have been shocked because that's exactly what the Old Testament said. This prophet like Elijah would do, the one who's going to come right before the coming of the Messiah. Three prophecies are found in the book of Malachi which the angel has just quoted or paraphrased in Luke chapter 1, verse 16. Let's take a look at this chart. Big thanks to Mary for putting all this together. So notice, left-hand side, there's the prophecies from Malachi, right-hand side from Luke. So Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, top left. Malachi prophesies that God will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes before the Messiah. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, the angel says, he will go before him, that is God, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Then Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, next one down on the left. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And look what the angel said, Luke chapter 1, verse 16. This little baby, John, when he grows up, he will come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Exactly what Malachi chapter 4, verse 6 said. Then Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. God says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the angel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, to make ready for the people, for the Lord, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So see, in the Old Testament, there were prophecies that in the future, the Messiah would come. All of Israel was longing for that day, waiting for that day, hoping for that day. But the Old Testament also said that right before the Messiah came, God was going to send a prophet like Elijah, who was going to turn Israel back to the Lord, prepare their hearts, bring restoration to families, turn the disobedience to the path of justice, and prepare people, prepare Israel, prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah. And now the angel says to Zechariah that your baby is going to be this prophet 
who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Your son is going to be that prophet. Now, that's the second reason we should believe what Luke says about Jesus. Let me just recap for you. Here's, here's what we've seen. Luke has put massive emphasis on John the Baptist. His birth was announced by an angel. He was going to be miraculously born to a couple past childbearing years. He has a unique call from God. He'll be great before the Lord. He'll be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. He's going to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of a prophet in coming like Elijah, who will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, who will turn the disobedient back to the paths of justice, who will prepare people for God's Messiah. So understand what this means here. The angel says that John, your, your son, your baby, Zechariah, John, is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And whose way did John the Baptist prepare for as we read these future chapters? He prepared the way for Jesus. So if the angel says, your child will prepare the way for the Messiah, and the one that John prepares the way for, we see in the unfolding chapters, is Jesus, that means who's the Messiah? Jesus is. Okay, let me just go over this again to make sure we don't miss this. If John is going to prepare the way for the Messiah, according to what the angel Gabriel says, and if the one that John ends up preparing the way for is Jesus, then Jesus is the Messiah, which is the second reason we should believe what Luke writes for us because of what the angel says about John the Baptist. That brings us to verses 18 through 23, the third reason. Very powerful. It's because God confirms the angel's words. Luke emphasizes this. Start with verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In other words, that's why you should believe this. I mean, think about it. The angel Gabriel has been standing in the very presence of God. And God said, Gabriel, it's time. Go and tell Zechariah the good news. And Gabriel goes. Okay. There he is. Right from the presence of God, right before Zechariah, gives him the good news. The very presence of the angel Gabriel should have been enough to persuade Zechariah that what he was saying was going to happen. Right? And Zechariah knew the Old Testament stories. I mean, Abraham and Sarah had had a child when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was in her 90s. I mean, totally shocking. God can do that easily. Zechariah knew that. Okay, but sadly, Zechariah did not believe what Gabriel said. So look at what happens in verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah did not believe the angel. Now, next week we're going to see Mary 
asking Gabriel a question. She's going to say, how will this happen? Now, that's a different question. If you ask, how will this happen, you're not doubting that it's going to happen. You're saying, I know it's going to happen, but how? How am I going to be pregnant? I'm a virgin, right? That's not unbelief. Zacharias was unbelief. He said, how will I know this happens, which shows he doesn't believe it's going to happen. I'm not so sure this is going to happen at all. How, how am I supposed to know this is going to happen? I'm not, I doubt it's going to happen. That's unbelief. And because Zechariah does not believe the angel, the angel says, you're not going to be able to talk until the child is born. Keep reading, verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. I mean, he's just got to light some incense. What's taking him so long, right? Always trust God's timing. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And think of what a shock that would have been. They saw Zechariah going to the temple. I'll be right out. Thanks for praying. Okay, glory to God. Anyway, I don't know what he would have done. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, verse 22, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So the angel said, you will not be able to speak. And God confirmed the angel's words, and he was not able to speak. Second confirmation, starting in verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, got pregnant. This is not a virgin birth, okay? This is that Zechariah and Elizabeth became pregnant. Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So she was just so blown away by what God had done. She mulled these things over for five months. Look at what God has done for me. And this is going to be the prophet like Elijah who is coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming, and my son is going to prepare his way. It would have taken at least five months to wrap your heart and mind around that. But you see that, again, God is confirming the angel's words. The angel had said all this about John. Okay, is that going to be true? Well, the angel also said that Zechariah won't be able to speak. And miraculously, Zechariah wasn't able to speak. And the angel had also said, Elizabeth's going to get pregnant. And Elizabeth got pregnant. And so by God confirming the words of the angel, God is confirming all the words of the angel. God is there with miracles showing Zechariah, showing the people, showing us who read today, showing Luke, showing us this is all true. And that's the third reason we should believe what Luke says about Jesus because God confirms the angel's words, which includes words about John, who would be the prophet preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah, which meant that right after John would be the coming of the Messiah, and who came right after John? It was Jesus, as we'll see next week. Now, so there's three reasons. 
Now, with that in mind, let me just go back to what we said at the very beginning. I, I want to remind you, here's what we are seeing and are going to see Luke showing us in these next weeks, in these first chapters of Luke. He's going to show us that a virgin, Mary, miraculously and supernaturally becomes pregnant and gives birth to Jesus. Unprecedented virgin birth. Luke's going to tell us about this. He's going to tell us that Jesus is the Messiah who for hundreds and thousands of years throughout the Old Testament had been promised. God's going to send him. He's coming. He's coming. Wait, it's going to happen. Luke tells us that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Luke tells us that Jesus is the Son of God, not just man. He is fully man, but Jesus also was fully God. We were talking about this in home group this week. Think of Jesus being in the manger. He's fully God. Here's God in the flesh. Amazing. God didn't send a representative. God came in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the Savior who saves people from their sins. And that Jesus is the King whose kingdom will never, ever end. Think of all the things in this world that are going to end. His kingdom will never end. That's what Luke is going to tell us. And Luke begins his story about Jesus by giving us three reasons to believe what he's going to tell us. First, because what he writes is based on carefully researched eyewitness accounts. Second, because the angel says, John will prepare the way. Zechariah's son, John, is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the one who John prepares the way for is Jesus, which means that Jesus is the Messiah, just as Luke said. And third, because God's words confirm the God's miracles confirm the angels' words, including the angels' words about John and his role in preparing the way for the Messiah. So we should believe what Luke tells us about Jesus. You should believe what Luke tells us about Jesus. And what he tells us changes everything. Let me just remind you, I said these at the beginning, so just let these sink in. This is what it means, part of what it means, that Jesus is the Messiah. It means that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. There's lots of other religions, lots and lots of other religions. We, we live in a nation full of other religions. But God, the creator of the universe, has come to earth in the person of Jesus and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the Savior. The God of the universe has provided a way for us to be forgiven for our sins, and it's through Jesus. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. This means we can know God is real, and we can know what God is like. Some of you maybe are struggling, thinking, you know, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, is there a God? Some atheists say no, blah, 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 this. The Word became flesh. God was born as a baby so that we could see God's reality in Jesus and know what God is like by looking at Jesus. So see, look, know. 
This means that we can be forgiven for all our sins by trusting Jesus. It's a beautiful thing when that, that cloud of guilt and darkness and heaviness over us, it's blown away by, by the power of the Holy Spirit when someone puts their trust in Jesus Christ and all the guilt is gone. That's what happens, right? All the guilt, all the guilt is gone. Never again are you guilty before God because of trusting Jesus. All that comes to you from, from God is just now mercy and love and goodness and delight. That's all that's coming to you. Never will there be condemnation. Never will there be punishment because of Jesus. This is a game changer, what Luke tells us here. And we can have our hearts filled with the joy of knowing God by trusting Jesus. What have you been seeking to fill your heart? What have you been looking to for joy lately? Every one of us in this room, we have lived long enough to know that nothing out there besides Jesus, knowing God through Jesus, is going to satisfy us. How many more times do you need to be disappointed? How many more? I say let's just put a stop to that, okay? Let's just set our hearts on the Lord God, knowing Him in Jesus, and seek our heart fullness in Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, like Aaron preached for us last week. The life you're looking for is only found in knowing God in Jesus. This is a game changer. Everything else will disappoint. He will never disappoint this means that life is about helping each other trust Jesus and bringing others to trust Jesus. What are you giving your life to? I know you got your job, very important. Okay, taking care of kids, keeping the house. These things are all important. Don't stop those. But what are you giving your life to? What, what's the purpose for those? What's your purpose for those? The purpose of life is to help each other trust Jesus. That's what we're doing in our our home groups, so we do in our families, helping each other trust Jesus and bringing others to trust Jesus. God's called you, and he's equipping you to be, to be a fisher of men, to make disciples. Are you pursuing that? This is a wonderful Christmas season. It's like Phoebe said, a wonderful opportunity to do that. And then death is not the end. Jesus the Messiah he died on the cross to pay for our sins, but then he rose from the dead. And one of the reasons he rose was to show us this is what will happen to you. Your death is not the end for those who trust Christ, for those who trust him. You'll be raised from the dead, and forever you're going to have the joy, the heart-filling, overflowing joy with all the redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe worshiping God in Jesus. It is a transforming thing to stop and think, my future forever is full of joy in God. That's my future. Such a powerful, strengthening, comforting truth. It will free you to live a life of risk-taking, sacrificial love for the name of Christ. If you know that your future is secure, forever it's going to be joy in Christ. Forever. So let's go for broke now. Let's help as many people as we can come to know the Lord Jesus. Be wise.
and be bold. And let's help as many people as we can come to know Jesus. Now, before I close in prayer, as I was praying about this last night, I think that there are some of you here this morning, and being in a country with people from lots of other religions being practiced, or maybe some books you've read or some television shows you've watched, and, and over the last months, maybe years, you've had some doubts grow in your heart about Jesus. Maybe in the past you've been strong, but, but some doubts have grown in your hearts. And because of these doubts and because of these questions, you've, you've pulled back from following Jesus a bit. Maybe you just, you know, kind of, just kind of pulled back from you know, really being involved with a, a community of God's people. Or maybe you've, you've pulled back from spending time in earnest prayer. That may be something you used to do in the past. Or maybe, maybe you're being pulled toward sin and you're, and you're giving room to sin in your life like maybe you didn't before these doubts and questions came up. And, and what, what I think God wants to say to you through this passage this morning is you have no reason to doubt and you have no reason to question. Now, humble questions are good. Help me understand this. Like we'll see Mary asking a humble question next week. But unbelief is not good. And what the Bible teaches is that the reason we move into unbelief is not because of lack of evidence. It's because of hardness of heart. I've experienced that. And, and we all have from time to time, right? But we've got to call it what it is. The reason that unbelief rises in our hearts, I'm not talking about honest, humble questions. Beautiful place for that. Keep that coming. God will answer those. He will address those. I'm talking about unbelief. It rises from a hardness of heart. And God wants you to hear that this morning, that the reason you've let those questions linger, the reason you've let those doubts nest in your heart, the reason you've let them move in and, and set up shop inside of you is because there's sin in your heart. But here's the beautiful news. You can turn to Jesus as you are, as you are, and say, help me, forgive me, strengthen my faith, Show me who you are. Listen, all the evidence points to Jesus. There's no evidence on the contrary. It's all pointing to Jesus because it's true. And all the evidence points to his truth. So let me urge you, if you have let unbelief and sinful doubts take habitation in your heart, start to dwell in your heart and you're seeing it, it's affected you, this morning God has you here so that you hear it's time to turn back in humble faith and say, help me. I believe, help my unbelief. And he loves that prayer and he will help you. Let's stand together. God, I pray that you bring your power upon every single one of us right now. These truths that Luke tells us about Jesus, they change everything. They change everything. So I pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts now. Lord, those who are under a cloud of guilt, help them to see the Messiah has come and forgiveness is here. Help them, Lord. Lord, those who are purposeless, who really don't have a clear purpose for their lives, help them see that their purpose is to strengthen others in faith and bring others to faith. Lord, those who are struggling, maybe they've never heard the truth of Jesus before, let them see that you 
God came to earth in the person of Jesus so that we could see the truth of God and understand who you are in Jesus. Lord, give them faith and repentance right now so that they can come and be forgiven and be changed. And I pray that you would stir all of our hearts with a a wise, humble boldness to tell people the meaning of Christmas in these next weeks. To invite people, to have them invite, invite them into our home, to invite them to gather with us here, whatever it might be, but Lord, that we would help people see the meaning of Christmas. Lord, strengthen us with what you've given Luke to write, I pray in Jesus' name.